Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, I think you'll enjoy this episode with the founder of Scripted and hear all about his leadership journey and how he got into entrepreneurship. And if you're interested in hearing more about what I'm doing with maternal health, check out www.rxformom.com. And reach out if you are a pediatric pharmacist or pharmacist interested in maternal health. I'm looking for others who are also passionate about that and want to help with some content. Or maybe you're also a mom and have questions just like I did. So reach out, let me know what you think about this project. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, James Lott, is the founder and CEO of Scripted, a Chicago-based health technology startup. James is a pharmacist and graduate of the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. And in 2020, he was recognized as Crane's Chicago Business 40 Under 40 and was a recipient of the Clinton Global Initiative Commitment to Action Award. James, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Hey, Hillary. And hey, friends. Uh, Really nice to be on the podcast today. Really looking forward to the discussion. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Yeah, sure. Um, well, as you know, as mentioned in the bio, I am in uh, the Chicago area. I've uh, been here 10 years. Uh, love the city. Uh, in my opinion, the best city in the world. Um, so uh, I, I get a lot of joy in here. And I honestly wouldn't be um, you know, a lot of my story wouldn't be written without the city. So um, I did all my graduate training um, in Chicago on the South Side um, from pharmacy school to, you know, getting further education. So yeah, it's it's been a fun ride. All right. Well, uh, it is always neat to kind of hear where in the country people are based and uh you know what what a little bit about their their background is and some of the things so i'm sure if you know people are um interested in chicago then you've got all kinds of like favorite tips and things from places to eat or going down on the the waterfront and and all of that a great place to visit for sure so um Well, so James, uh, we are excited to kind of dig in a little bit. So you went to pharmacy school and give us a little bit of background on your experience as a pharmacist and then what really prompted you to um, found Scripted? Yeah, um, sure. Okay, so when I was in pharmacy school, uh, I was definitely not the um, model citizen for a pharmacy student. Um, You know, when I entered pharmacy school, I think what, like maybe two months in, uh, my mother passed away. And that was, that made it really challenging for me. Um, And I probably already wasn't the model citizen already for like being a pharmacy student. But, um, you know, through pharmacy school, I was really proud of the school I went to. I did struggle during school, 
but I also picked up some some unique experiences that I think kind of helped me. Um, I started a student organization from scratch while I was there. And, you know, it just made me always kind of like think of things differently. I always thought and knew uh, to be true that pharmacies, pharmacists were, you know, literally one of the most important healthcare professionals in every community, just because of our, uh, the community's broad access to them, um, our knowledge. And honestly, in my opinion, I think pharmacists can help as much as they want it, want to, um, you know, as much as they want to be utilized in a, in a, a resource to the community that can be. Um, and I, I think that's true. And now, you know, I like seeing that some policies are starting to open up to that kind of support what I'm saying as well. Um, so yeah. Um, and I guess a little bit more about my background um, after pharmacy school. Uh, you know, I was actually looking to, you know, do something unique. I tried to join the Indian Health Service. In fact, I went on several interviews for, um, for what, what were they, fellowships or was was it a fellowship or residency? I don't know, whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah, residency at the IHS. And I went on two interviews and um, I remember I got rejected from both. So I, um, one of my API rotations, I, I uh, you know, did at a corporate office uh, for one of the chains and that company just offered me a job on the West Coast and I took it. It was going to be, I was going to be a community pharmacist, um, really excited about it. I remember uh, when I moved all my stuff from Chicago to, to the West coast, uh, Seattle, actually, um, I was at the airport and I got a call from an unknown number and it was the IHS saying, um, Hey, you know, we, we couldn't offer you that residency, but we liked you a lot. Uh, do you, we, can we offer you that a job here instead? Like, would you be open to that? And I'm literally sitting at the the luggage carousel oh, wow. waiting on my luggage, just having moved across the country. And I'm like, um, you know what? I think I'm going to pass. This was, <laughs> this was too much. Uh, I don't want to have to do this all over again. And you know, it's funny because those kind of decisions can shape the rest of your life, you know? So. Yes. That is fascinating. And I love, you know, hearing the ups and downs and things because, you know, sometimes people look at a LinkedIn bio or they looked at, you know, they, they see, I love that visual of like the tip of the, the iceberg and, you know, they see like success is at the top and they don't see all of the things that go into, into it, you know, the, the overnight success or whatever. So thank you for sharing a little bit more about that. And, um, Yes, like the Indian Health Service um, and some of the the public health um, different opportunities, whether it be with FDA or you know other HHS branches, um, were certainly interesting. I had the experience of getting to intern with HRSA with the Office of Pharmacy Affairs, and uh, yeah, it really I, I didn't know anything about it. I wanted to go back to D.C. after having spent time on the Hill interning for a, a Mississippi senator and thought D.C. is so amazing, but how do I go back for pharmacy? And mm-hmm. we had an alum that was running the Office of Pharmacy Affairs, which does the 340B program. And and it is, it is interesting how those either the doors that open or doors that close um, really can kind of help um, set that career trajectory. So, all right, you're out on the West Coast working as a community pharmacist. Then what? Yeah, um, essentially. So, I, I got the the firm I started with 
Um, I, I didn't actually end up working for them for very long. Um, you know, some, some unfortunate things happened and I just didn't end up working for them. So what ended up happening later on was, um, I started working at Walmart and, you know, I remember Walmart having a pretty good reputation for, for pharmacists as at pharmacy as being like a, a place where there's good, you know, work-life balance where, you know, they do things the right way and, and they treat their pharmacists particularly well. So I was pretty excited. Now, I think, uh, you know, this is where this, my story starts getting different from, from you know, most people I know. Um, I, um, when I joined the pharmacy, um, I didn't, I mean, call it ignorance or whatever, but I didn't even know what a pharmacy manager actually was. I, I mm-hmm. like, or what they did that they had, you know, supreme responsibility. And I know that sounds very naive, but the way I saw myself was, look, if I'm coming into a pharmacy, I'm a manager, I'm a leader, even if I don't have the title, um, because I want to get that outcome. And I, I think, again, I take this really serious. I really always thought, hey, pharmacists are one of the most vital professionals in the community. And I think that my staff, my pharmacy manager, my um, my district manager, they all saw that in me very quickly. So um, I worked at this pharmacy that was extremely um, busy. Uh, we did what I think when I started, we did 500 prescriptions a day. And I think six to seven months later, we were doing 900 a day. And apparently a lot of that new volume was because I came in and I just started revamping the way we engage with patients. And that's kind of how it started. And then, um, you know, long story short, my dream store uh, opened up, which was the, uh, the flagship store in the Pacific Northwest and a manager position was open. But, you know, I think literally there were like 55 applications for that one store internal trying to get there because it's, you know, really close to the Seattle land. It's a very diverse neighborhood. It's just like a kind of a lovely place to be. But the pharmacy had some challenges. And I put my name in the hat for it. And I beat all the other 55 pharmacies, pharmacists uh, out for that position. And, you know, I remember on day one, I walked in, there was a line wrapped around the pharmacy. There were literally a hundred plus prescriptions in the queue. Um, And the manager, I talked to him and, you know, he just told me how miserable the job was and how lousy the patients were and how unmotivated the staff was. And I just kind of, I listened to everything he had to say. I didn't say anything back. Um, One of the cash registers had been broken for a year. Um, It was a mess. Um, I came in. Um, two weeks in, uh, there were no more lines a month in the cash register was open three months in customers were saying, asking if there was like a new manager because everything had been different. And a year later, a year in, we increased the uh, revenue of the pharmacy, literally 90% in one year. Um, and I just, I look, I took a lot of pride in in being a pharmacist. Yeah, I just took well, a lot of pride in, in 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 everything I did and my staff did, and I wanted that you know to pass on to patients and their experience. Okay, so James, I love several things that you said in in that example, but you know, so you your leadership story. So we'll kind of hit on that. So you know, one of the things you mentioned was even without the title, you came in. And, um, you know, you like leading without a title, how to lead when you're not in charge. Like I love some of those pearls. Um, that's a, a book from Andy Stanley 
or he's got a podcast on that. Um, but yeah, you just went in, you, um, what are, tell us, you know, maybe what are some of those specific leadership skills that you, um, maybe, you know, took with you that maybe other pharmacists, um, maybe they've, they're in struggling stores or something and they're burnout or they're feeling like, Oh, nothing's going to change. Like, how to like what was kind of that turnaround or something that that you helped to instill that good attitude and good environment in? Oh, that's a really good question, um, Hillary. So, I mean, I remember when I came on, um, I I you know the first thing I did was I asked uh, my district manager if I could if I could uh, you know get some extra funding to have a one hour meeting with the staff and order some food. And I was going to tell them, you know, about, you know, the new changes that were coming. And I'm glad I spent time with the previous pharmacy manager because I could see how, how, a, how a pharmacy can not get the love and the care and the attention that it needs, how it can, you know, spiral into an unmotivated staff, disgruntled customers, um, and probably a lot of, you know, things that are being unaddressed that should be on a day-to-day basis. And I made a deal with them right away. I said, Hey, look, you know, I don't, I can't pay you guys more money. Um, but I can promise you this. If we stick to the plan and the plan is the company already has, you know, they have, they already have a playbook of how to run a pharmacy. If we stick to the plan and start doing it like that, you will enjoy coming to work in the next several months. You will like what you do. You will add value. You will you'll work with a smile because you'll be happier because you have a, a team that supports you, customers that appreciate you, and just in in spot in doing things the right way, you'll be inspired in in terms of in terms of your capability to solve problems. Um, so I made that deal with them, um, and I promised them that they can keep me accountable when I'm not doing something right or if I'm you know, doing something wrong. I promised them I would listen. I, I just wanted to encourage them and let them know that they had support. And, um, you know, this is a definitely a different approach because I know I, these people were, they were done. They were done. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I had one member of the team turnover, not one. Um, oh, yeah. And wow. the only times, uh, I think a year later, one person, they wanted to work closer to home, but we kept that same team for over a year and we, we rocked and rolled. Um, and they got a lot of, they got a lot, everything that, you know, I promised them, it came true, but I didn't do it by myself. They were, they were helping me with the plan. So it is a mindset that's for sure, but it's also, you know, executing on, on a plan to make things better. And um, it, it either has to stop, start from the bottom up or the top down. Um, I don't think that that pharmacy had the tools for it to start from the bottom up. So it had to be a top down. And I would say that if a manager is not supporting the mission, then, you know, again, that's an, that's a sure fire way for things to kind of spiral and, you know, um, lead to a negative work, work, um, work environment and, and probably negative outcomes for patients, which, you know, that's not the goal in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope that this story gets out to, you know, pharmacists and community settings across the country and, you know, just having that reset and going in and listening and partnering with your team. 
and and you know you were still what just a like how a young young new pharmacist. Oh, yeah. I mean, how how long had you been out? It wasn't you know you were still pretty pretty new. Yeah, I mean, I was a pharmacy technician um, in school. Uh, I didn't work very much. Um, and actually, my company passed up on me because I didn't work as much as they wanted me to in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up. That was one of the reasons I ended up in Seattle. But um, mm-hmm. but no, like, you know, once I was in it, I was I was in it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know everything, but I, I knew I knew how to follow a playbook, especially if it's going to get me the outcomes that I that I'm up. Uh, that I'm ideally seeking. And again, you know, that investment, it made, it made sense. Everybody's life was easier and better everyone. Right. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, you know, if somebody told you that you're going to spend less time doing your job so you can enjoy your life more, you know, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I invest in that kind of strategy? Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, you've done this turnaround and what is it that kind of led you to the entrepreneurship path? Sure. So um, I'm going to try to be, um, I'm going to try to provide details so people kind of understand. It's a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Essentially, though, I was looking for something new because um, I don't know if um, I wanted to to get into leadership positions at in, um, in the pharmacy um, and I started looking at fellowships in, in pharma, you know, I, I kind of, I thought that I wanted to, you know, um, work in, in kind of, um, you know, drug access on the policy side. So, you know, my, my dream job at the time was, okay, if you can get a fellowship that helps you, you know, negotiate drug prices with, with, uh, governments of, of underdeveloped countries, that would be really cool. Imagine getting like the brand new cancer drug on the market or an Alzheimer's drug on the market, you know, like a country like Tanzania or somewhere in in Asia, like that would be the dream. So I found some fellowships with that. I applied. I mean, I remember studying and practicing for the inter for the interviews for like six months. Um, And um, I I went to those, um, I went to those and um, I think I did pretty well, um, but it wasn't guaranteed. Um, I, on my way back on, I'm, on my way back, I was, uh, you know, in a very nice suit that I paid too much money for. And, uh, that's relevant because I'm pretty cheap, uh, for a lack of better words. Uh, but I was sitting next to this man on the plane and he kind of started chatting my ear off. Um, uh, but he had good conversation. He was talking about business and politics and he was asking me why I was all dressed up and I kind of shared it with them. And we talked the whole plane ride. Um, and he was just, you know, really, really a, a, a nice, kind person to, to talk to. And he, he offered for us to stay in touch um, when we got back to Seattle. Um, and we didn't really talk about what he did. Um, but one day, maybe a couple weeks later, about a month later, as I was waiting to hear back from my um, my interviews for the fellowships, he contacted me and said, hey, you know, uh, James, I'm uh, I forgot to mention, but I'm actually an angel investor and there's a young entrepreneur and he's pitching his company to me and you should come hear it. Um, I had to Google what an angel investor was. I didn't actually know. Um, and if anybody else out there doesn't know, an angel investor is a high net worth individual who invests in early stage companies who are trying to get their ideas off the ground at their most risky stage, um, typically. And so I went on the pitch. I thought it was really interesting. And um 
yeah, I think that's kind of how things kind of got started. Um, I, uh, I did hear back from the fellowships and, you know, one of them was kind of mine to win or lose. And I said something I shouldn't have said, so I didn't get that one. And then I didn't get the one I really wanted. And, you know, I'm back at ground zero. So, um, this, but this, in the meantime, this gentleman, he was, um, I'll never forget. Was it a health care? What was the pitch? No, no, was the it pitch, a healthcare one? No, it wasn't. It wasn't healthcare at all. Uh, oh. You know, I I don't want to I don't want uh, to offend anybody's business idea, but I I thought the idea was a little um, interesting, but not not really solving a big enough problem for for it to have like mm-hmm. investors come in. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, but it wasn't healthcare pitch. It was like more like um, you know like safety. Um, you know, like an, a, a walking alarm kind of thing to contact police mm-hmm. if you're in an emergency, something like that. Um, but anyway, um, but a- after that, you know, I met, I started meeting with this gentleman more often, um, the, the investor, and he kind of, he said, hey, you know, James, you remind me of my young self. You know, I also didn't mention, but I used to be a, a mayor of a, of a big town here in Washington state. And, um, you know, politics is great, but it's not what most people think it is. You know, you think you're going to go in there and solve problems, but really and truly you're not, you don't have the power authority to. He said, if you really want to solve a problem, find an idea or find an issue that you really care about and then spend the next 10 years of your life trying to solve it. And I said, huh, that is interesting. That's really interesting. And I was like, well, I work in healthcare. There's, there's a ton of problems here. Um, Mm. (laughs) so, uh, you know, I started, I started working things up and I was just like, you know, have, I had a fresh perspective on life, but I also knew that, you know, with my background, I had limited options for how to, how to like do things from here. Um, you know, I think that what, what I've learned in life is, you know, there's three ways to kind of level up, you know, number one is you're, you have the network that allows you to already to, to do big things, do do big, Mm -hmm. bigger, bold things. Number two you have to either go to the, you have to go to the right schools or number three, you're just, you know, against all odds. You're that just that, you know, crazy person that's going to figure it out and make your dreams come true by rolling up your sleeves and, and doing whatever else uh, it takes. But it might be more difficult. And um, I just looked at myself. I knew I wasn't rich. Uh, so I had to either go to the right school or roll up my sleeve. And I decided to do both. So, I um, you know, I went back to school. Um, I quit. So I quit pharmacy. Went for for a short time. I went back to school at a top school. The University of Chicago is a you know it's a um, world renowned school. I studied grad school there, and I so when I started uh, scripted, I, I the, the early early foundations of scripted actually. Okay. Now, did you go to business school, or or what kind of school was it? Yeah. See, and again, back to being naive. Um, uh, I applied to the policy school because I wanted to do uh, things oh. on the social side. Um, mm-hmm. And on top of that, uh, a little known fact, a lot of people don't know, I think that University of Chicago doesn't market themselves as much. But at the time, I, I don't mm-hmm. think there was any way I could have gotten into the University of Chicago's business school. They're literally the number one business school in the country right now as we speak above Harvard and Stanford and everywhere else. So pretty, pretty, Okay. <laughs> it's pretty uh, Okay, uh, so competitive. you went to the public yeah. policy school. I and did. Like I did. Okay. Uh, MPP, Masters of Public Policy Analysis, and with some certificates on the okay. side as well. Uh, but that that was where things really started to get interesting. So. Okay. All right. This is really fascinating story here. 
it sounds like you had a little guardian angel that, you know, just this awesome guy. I'm like, I'm sure most people are like, man, I wish I was wearing a suit and just struck up a conversation. You never know, uh, you know, who you might talk to, but there, there you go. Looking dressed up and nice on a plane, um, is important. That's how people used to do. Now we go in our sweats and things, right? But all right. So James, tell us more about what is scripted. What's your mission? What are you all doing? Great. So, um, so Scripted is the first marketplace that connects patients in need of same-day care for common conditions with local in-person pharmacists that can prescribe. And we like to think that we are healthcare for the 99%, but better, faster, and uh, cheaper um, than, than all the other options. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, the timing is perfect. Um, after the pandemic, pharmacists, or during rather during the pandemic, pharmacists um, administered over 300 million vaccines that gave over a hundred million tests. And I mean, if you're a pharmacist, you're listening to this, this isn't a surprise to you, but the general public literally did not know that the pharmacists were capable at handling this massive public health crises, you know, right in their local community and at the scale and grace that pharmacists were able to do. Um, and, you know, it's just, it, it's again, back to the, the power um, and the the relevance of the pharmacists, like I want to tell you guys, you guys matter so much. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying that to rah-rah, like I truly believe this while I was working. You know, while I was working, I love my job. I love those stories of those people that, you know, I'd stay 15 minutes late for, people that eventually would come to the pharmacy and say, hey, I was thinking about my going to my doctor, but I was like, why can't I just ask James? He knows. He's a doctor in his own right. Mm -hmm. I, I love mm -hmm. that. Um, for me, it wasn't about a paycheck. It was about facilitating those relationships and interactions and, um, you know, whatnot. But again, I also know that, you know, things have changed since then. Um, I think that companies are expecting pharmacies to do, uh, pharmacists to do more with less, and that's not appropriate. Um, I'm, I was really glad to see movements like pizza is not working, I'm glad to hear pharmacists, you know, speaking out against these things more. Um, and I really hope things are changing fast because that where we need to be in pharmacy, uh, we have to address these issues before we go to pharmacy 2.0 for the future. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. So tell us a little bit more about how, um, how pharmacists sign up to provide these services. Are there any sort of um, certifications or requirements or things. Tell us more about like kind of the pharmacist side and of, of being providing this care. And then also how patients are finding out about this. And then what does that payment model look like? Yeah, great questions. So, I mean, I think a, a, a good way to maybe to answer that question is kind of how we had to take it apart when we first started. Um, so when we first started, you know, it started with, you know, started with um, me talking with a really large company after building my first product, which, you know, was it was a cool product, but it didn't have scale, uh, but it got us a lot of national attention. Um, but then me talking to one of these larger enterprise uh, pharmacy chains, they, they heard about what we were building. It wasn't scripted at the time. And they said, hey, you know, if you looked into this model where you could have pharmacists become providers, 
um, and you figured all the hard part out, we would love to to talk with you at that. And I didn't really know what that meant. So I, you know, gathered a team. I got some investments, some investors. I gathered a team and we went and started talking to pharmacies, a pharmacist and pharmacy owners. And we learned that many pharmacists wanted to start offering more clinical services to their community, but they just didn't know what to where to start. Or if they did, they could only figure out one piece of the puzzle and there were still many more. You know, you just said, you know, how you just yourself, you just realized, hey, there's all these things you have to figure out. You said, how do, how do payments work? How do how does engagement with patients work? Uh, how do you put this model in the pharmacy? How do you sign up? And it's so many problems. We had to go in and solve all those problems one after one at a time. We had to figure out, you know, the regulations to start, you know, in what states can you do what what types of clinical services? What are the limitations by state? Uh, what about payment? You know, the majority of if you offer a cash service, you're only going to be able to penetrate five to 10 percent of the population because they're going to say, well, I'll just wait for my doctor. I mean, this is not urgent to me. Um, what about the clinical services? How do you train for them? Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't even know what to offer in the first place. What's going to make me money? What's not going to make me money? So we had to go in and figure out every one of these things one by one, put all of our knowledge into, you know, um, automating this into a turnkey solution. And that's essentially what scripted is. Instead of asking these hard questions, we've already figured these out for pharmacists. Uh, one of my favorite features on the platform on scripted um, and you can check it out at scripted.co, scripted.co is the website, um, is, you know, you pick which services you want to offer. Um, you know, for instance, I'll just list a couple of popular services, urinary tract infection for women, you know, um, lice treatment, surprisingly, is really popular. I think people have a big pain point there. Um, you can do point of care testing, et cetera. You get trained. We partner with the University of Illinois at Chicago College of Pharmacy to offer uh, CE training for these courses, um, which are free for scripted customers. Um, and then, um, you know, you turn, you literally go in, you turn these services off or on based on, you know, if you think that it's going to be relevant, if the regulations allow it, we, we actually turn off the ones that are not applicable in your state um, automatically, um, et cetera. And then it's super easy to use. Super, super mm-hmm. easy to use. In fact, that's the number one compliment we get from customers is how easy it is to use. Um, I think the biggest challenge, though, is payments. Um, payments mm-hmm. is a big thing because you, I think pharmacists, we're at a point where we don't want to do anything else for free. Um, I think yeah. most people would agree with that. So we have uh, started contracting with payers. We got our first couple contracts in right now. The reimbursements are extremely healthy. And we're now looking for pharmacies to join our network so you can offer these services and get paid from them. Um, and everything is on the platform you need to do is automated um, almost fully, uh, getting better and better at that every single day. But the payments are substantial. Most of them are, um, you know, over $100 and $100 for 15 minutes of the pharmacist time, which is really nice. And, um, you know, we're going to keep mm-hmm. expanding and getting more more payer contracts and, and partnering with more payers to to facilitate more services at the pharmacy. Uh, interesting. Now, James, are you contracting with pharmacies or pharmacists and, and where is your footprint? Yeah, we're contracting more with pharmacies. Um, and then at the individual level, you do have to include a pharmacist to get a payer to reimburse uh, because payers 
they reimburse, uh, they, they contract to, you know, organizations like ourselves, co- so healthcare companies, but the service needs to be executed by an individual pharmacist. So, you know, even a company as big as, you know, three letter CVS, they would have to contract with the payer, but then eventually credential every individual pharmacist one by one. And the, the information they need is, is pretty immense. There could be 200 pieces of information they need about every pharmacist. So it's kind of hard to scale those things for a big company. And that's kind of some of the solutions we build for to contract with big companies as well. Um, but we contract with the pay ourselves and then we bring, we subcontract uh, with pharmacies and individual pharmacists under pharmacy. So we're not hiring pharmacists, consultants. That's not what we do. We, we contract with pharmacies and then we bring the individual pharmacy staff members onto the um, into our network and, and um, help them, you know, get get onboarded so they can bill for the services. And then you okay. asked about Flipprint. Yeah, we we uh, we're in several states. Uh, I would say our most active state is definitely California, um, with some some close follow-ons. But California is where we spend a lot of our time at because there's lots of innovative and um, very motivated pharmacies pharmacies and pharmacy owners in California. Hmm, interesting. So. Uh, so basically you've got, you know, two sides, you're going out recruiting pharmacies, signing them up, telling them about how they can start providing services. It's also bringing in customers to the pharmacy because they can then get their prescription filled there if they need a prescription. Um, and then, yeah, a lot, a lot of moving parts going out to contracting with the payers because it's hard when you've got, you know, uh, it's kind of like chicken or the egg, you know, going at it from like an individual pharmacy to pharmacy in a payer is a little challenging. But if you've kind of built up a little bit of a network, it's got to be a little bit easier to, to start making those connections and things. Um, what's been the the feedback from, um, you know, patients? You know, how have you been able to reach them and, and what's been kind of the feedback from, from their side? Is it mostly like younger patients or, or what kind of demographic are you seeing? You know, in terms of age, I don't know if it's an age dependent solution. I I think the solution is based on, you know, critical need. Um, You, you notice that the services that are the most utilized are people who have that issue right then and there. It's typically acute services right now. And, you know, we'll eventually get to where we can manage chronic care. But right now our our kind of moat is, you know, paying, you know, working with uh, training pharmacists on things that people, you know, they have a big problem, they can't get into their doctor and they want to get solved right away. So again, urinary tract infection, you know, lice, you know, people don't like um, being uncomfortable. So the UTIs make sense. And People don't want bugs in their hair and, and things like that. That's also gross for them. So they'll pay whatever it takes to get those kinds of things, uh, those kind of things uh, done. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, we've been talking as a profession for decades about, oh, we need to do this and we need to do that. But the problem is telling people that they need to do something instead of providing a comprehensive solution that does all the hard stuff for them. You know, the, the industry's been yearning for that for, for decades. And that's why, in my opinion, we haven't had much traction. So, um, you know, we have to market. We have to help market the, uh, the, the services with the pharmacies. You know, we're literally 
on the boots ground. So the only thing pharmacies have to do is they, they just need to, you know, do their training and, you know, launch and let the patients come to them. So they're getting this, you know, more simple um, incremental revenue at high margins. Um, and, and we do all the hard stuff for them so that, and, you know, so we can normalize this uh, for pharmacies. You know, I can also talk about Canada right now. Um, I've been following Canada closely on January 1st. Many of the provinces in Canada, uh, you know, publicly launched uh, new policy saying pharmacists can prescribe. And I was reading an article the other day and they were saying the pharmacists were saying, oh, my goodness, you know, we've got, we've gotten hundreds of patients a month coming in. In fact, the other day it was 7 p.m. and the urgent care closed and they couldn't get to their doctor. We had 10 patients waiting to see the pharmacist to, to manage these minor conditions. So, you know, we know the U.S. is much bigger than Canada. Our healthcare system can be way more confusing. It's just a matter of putting this infrastructure on there and then eventually getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it certainly helps with the um, shortages that we have in primary care. Um, and, you know, pharmacists are, are well-trained and I love all the different things that you're offering. Um, and And have patients been pretty receptive to cash pay or has it mostly been um, you've been targeting those with certain insurances that you've contracted through the, the different payers? Yeah, the, the insurance uh, piece is, is really vital for, for scale. But, you know, the patients that are paying right now, again, they have those ch- those problems. You know, the, the story I like is this one patient, she was just kind of hanging around the pharmacy and she saw the marketing um, material for the pharmacist saying that patients can, you know, pharmacists can prescribe. And she had just a week prior, she was, um, she was literally, she called her doctor's office twice saying, Hey, you know, get me in. I need my EpiPen. Um, you know, this mm. is, this is ridiculous. And she had to wait until August to get into her doctor's mm. office. And this was in May, May. So she would have had mm. to wait an additional four months to get an EpiPen refill, saw the sign at the wow. pharmacy, scanned the QR code, uh, completed the form and the pharmacist was able to prescribe uh, her EpiPen and Narcan for her mom. And, um, you know, she was thrilled about it. She was just so thrilled. In fact, she went on Facebook, posted about the experience, took a picture of the, the, the marketing material. And I think the next day, four members of her family and friends went to the pharmacy to get more services. So again, is there a need for this? Yes. Uh, you know, how is this going to happen? Uh, you know, we need an easy, simple solution for pharmacists. We need patient awareness, uh, community adoption, and, uh, you know, we need to figure out the payments and the policy pieces for scale. Very good. Well, James, this has certainly been fascinating to hear more about your background and then some of the innovative work that you're doing to help, uh, expand, you know, prescriptive authority, for pharmacists and, and streamlining that, uh, because yeah, we need to make it easier, um, and, and less burdens for that. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, as our final question, I'd love to ask our guests is what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Yeah. Um, good question. Um, I personally, I'm big on uh, self-accountability and self-awareness. I know that there's a lot of uh, negative sentiment about the profession of pharmacy. 
Um, while I can understand it, it's not my personal experience. Um, and I just have always found out when I've I personally, I've just learned when you're really, even if you don't enjoy something, when you give your all into it, uh, what you're doing is you're learning other skills and you're learning, you know, new ways and you're getting more opportunities, which can ultimately help set you up for your next one. There's no way I could be the founder of, of, of a company like Scripted trying to change the profession if I was, um, you know, not happy with my job and giving the bare effort to, to get it. The reason I even learned that this opportunity existed was because I always went the extra mile for my patients and my staff members. And I know what it's like, um, you know, to work really hard, which is what you need to be as an entrepreneur. And I needed those insights. I needed patients to say, hey, why do I need to go to a doctor when I can go to James instead? You know, without that experience hundreds of times, I wouldn't have been able to believe in this opportunity that exists. So again, just working really hard, um, being really good at my job. Now, those were skills that I needed to, you know, get to the next phase. And that's really important to be good at your job so that you can, you know, get the outcomes you want not just for your current self, but for your future self. And you'll never regret giving your all to something. That's just my opinion. Love it. Well, um, thank you for sharing your story and the great work that you're doing. And I hope that this inspires uh, pharmacists out there to, um, whether it's go in and do, you know, a change of the, attitude and environment mindset where they're current where they currently are or um, maybe they want to add on clinical services and are interested in checking out scripted um, lots of great great learnings and things uh, from this episode so James it was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the talk to your pharmacist podcast thanks so much Hillary and uh, thanks so much for listening friends Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.